I think he can succeed. Like, I think this this defense is predicated on, you know, keeping things in front of you and just kind of holding your water until the pass rush can get home. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Wednesday, September 27th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined as always by producer JT. You can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, happy Tuesday as we're recording live as we do on Tuesday afternoons. How are you, my friend? I'm good. That was a very energetic start to the show there. I, I, I I'm was looking almost, to bring the juice today. I don't know. You are. You kind of caught me mood. off guard there. You know, yeah. I was looking through the rundown here, but then you jump scared me a little bit. But I'm good. To, <laughs> I'm good. To, I'm good to be here. Excited. Yeah. G- glad to have you and glad to have our guest, Stoney Keeley today, friend of the show. Going to be spending all day today talking Titans with him. He brings a really insightful perspective, in my opinion, on this team. One of the few guys that I know that really does the legwork, grinding the tape evaluating with a a keen and intelligent eye. So looking forward to talking with him all day. But before we do, got to satisfy the sales weasels by telling you all about our our wonderful and fantastic sponsor, Boomba's Pizza and uh, Tap House, Craft Pizza and Tap House. Here in Spring Hill, Tennessee is where our location is, just a 25-ish minute drive down the interstate from the Nashville area. They also have locations in East Nashville and in Murfreesboro. Kentucky and Indiana, Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House is our go-to for all of our pizza and sports bar needs. JT and I are live from Boomba's Pizza in Spring Hill each and every Thursday night for Thursday Night Football episodes. Uh, we record right before Thursday Night Football, then hang out the rest of the evening at Boomba's, grab a bite, grab a drink, and watch the game. We would love for you to come and join us and have some of their delicious pizza. They are four-time winners at the Las Vegas uh, International Pizza Expo. Two-time winners for Best Pizza in America, according to the International Pizza Championships. These guys know what they're doing, and what they do is make delicious pizza. So check out Boomba's wherever uh, you can find a location nearest to you. You will not be disappointed. And coming and hanging out with us on Thursday nights when we record live from Boomba's in Spring Hill is well worth the trip, I promise. Also, if you are listening to us live today on Tuesday, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate you being here. Would love for you to be a part of the conversation. You can do that by heading on over to the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page. That's Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. You'll find this live stream there, and that's where you can be a part of the conversation. Like Wyatt and Pretty Boy Lipschitz and Jacob Sane are in the comments. Wyatt tuning in with us live from the hospital. I know Wyatt and, and his wife just had... Their beautiful and healthy daughter. Congratulations. Well, actually, Wyatt's wife did. Wyatt did nothing. You freeload and bag. Uh, they, they, congratulations to the both of you and uh, excited for you both. Glad to hear that things went well. Jacob, good pizza, good taps. Go to Boom Bus. Firsthand report there from Jacob, who was with us uh, last Thursday. Pretty boy love shits. Tighten up in the comments. Looking forward to talking all things Titans today and doing so with our lovely guest, who let's go ahead and bring him on in, JT. It's Tony Keeley. The uh, the founder of Sobros Network here in Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite people to talk to about all things Titans. Stony, how are we doing? Boys, life sucks and then you die. Today's Tuesday, <laughs> tomorrow will be Wednesday, so on and so forth. 
<laughs> until the rest of our days. No, I'm kidding. I'm doing great. You guys are Good. talking about Boom Boss Pizza. You're making me hungry. You're making me thirsty. We're going to drag I, you out there to one of these one of these days, man. Well, listen, my 06 Nissan Altima ain't starting right now, so I'm going to have to find okay. a, an alternative alternative Luckily, mode it's, of transportation. it's a long season, so you've got time to get that fixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get on it. But I if I may tell a story about Boom Boss, I went Please to the Murfreesboro location at one point and mm -hmm. I walked in and they had Broken Skull IPA, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if you guys know is actually Stone Cold Steve Austin's IPA. Yes, so that's all I know it as. Yeah. Forever a soft spot in my heart for Boom Boss. Now I can't I can't verify. That's been like a year or so at this point. I can't I can't verify that they still have it, but I'm they just they cycle saying. through a lot of different yeah domestic international and local brews they do a good job of keeping it fresh is, is what we're told and they've already they've only been there for three episodes going on a month now and they've already changed out a couple of times so it's it's kind of an adventure every time you go up up at the tap house they, have, they do a good job it is um, i i love it out there every chance that we get we go it's one of our favorite spots around town so i'm a little disappointed that we're not there today but listen mm -hmm. i get it thursdays that's the spot Today's yep. not a Thursday. I so agree. It is a I Tuesday. Calendar. And, on a, and on a Tuesday, we're going to talk about the Titans um, kind of from every angle. I, I just kind of want to go through. I have a number of questions that I have written down that I feel you'll have some insightful answers to. And I, I just want to get a fresh opinion on some of these things as the Titans are one and two. The vibes are not great at all as they are want not to be after, um, you know, two very frustrating losses in their own right. And then a win that comes down to the wire. And, you know, after a loss, like they suffered in week three in Cleveland, that's the kind of beat down of a loss that makes you question what you saw in the win. You know, it kind of in, in hindsight, it can change your perspective on some things. And um, it's difficult this time of year where we're, you know, we've got three games under our belts. We're almost a month into the season. We're at that point where it becomes difficult to balance it's a fresh year. You know, it's still the month of September. Three games is a really small sample size. But at what point can we say we've seen enough to know something or everything that there is to know about a team? You know, at what point does um, something go from being a potential coincidence to being a trend? And so that's what we're trying to dig through today. And um, I want to start with this, Stoney. And it, it is the case. I want to try to make the case for the Titans to be competitive yet in 2023 and specifically offensively. This is not a new case for anybody that's been listening to the show for a long time, but it's one that I am consistently reminded of as I think about and talk about the Titans this week, not as something that I wholeheartedly believe is the case, but something that I think is absolutely fair to remember may end up being the case. And it is that this offseason, the Titans underwent three dramatic, massive changes on the offensive side of their operation. They got a new offensive coordinator who is installing a brand new offensive scheme and two thirds or more of their offensive personnel are brand new to the team. That's about as new as you can get. I mean, they, they, uh, besides changing out your quarterback, your starting quarterback, they did three of the four biggest things you can do in terms of changing your offense over year over year. And it's that kind of thing that you see with really any team in my experience watching the NFL and, and covering the NFL. Rarely does that pick up on a super high note. 
there's usually a real learning curve involved. There's really uh, a lot of teething involved with this kind of thing. And the example that I've used time in and time out, I, I really honestly should just sit down and think of another example, but it's the one that I think is the most potent. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay a couple of seasons ago. They're seven and seven through 14 weeks. They get to their week 14 by, and they're a team that is scratching and clawing for the playoffs. The national and local narrative, as far as I'm aware, is that this team offensively, they don't offer a ton and defensively they're, they're kept afloat at times, but you know, it's those moments early in the season where, you know, Tom Brady goes 0-2 to start the year against the Saints. The Saints defense makes a, a fool of that Tampa Bay offense. You get the primetime game against the Chicago Bears where Tom Brady becomes a meme holding up a three to the camera at the end of the game because he didn't know what down it was. Things weren't going great for the better part of that season for Tampa Bay. And then when it clicked, it clicked. And that's a situation where you had a brand new quarterback in, on a team with a lot of, you know, a lot of familiar personnel, but a, a lot of new personnel as well. Um, and, and when things started to work and they, they found their stride, you know, they didn't lose another game all the way to getting a Lombardi trophy. So am I saying that's what the Titans are going to do? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, because the Titans underwent so much change, it is so easy, I think, in weeks like these, moments like these, for us to lose sight of that fact and think about just how inept this Titans team looks. I mean, I know I'm imagining you, you did the same thing, Stoney sitting, watching that game on Sunday, watching the Titans get the 94 yards of total offense. Then you flip over to red zone. After that early window, you watch the late window of games and it looks like you're watching a different sport. You, you just, you, and this is something that happens with the Titans too often, frankly, but the way that other offenses around the league work, you, you sit there and you watch and you're like, what? This, this seems so easy for these other teams. Like, why why can't the Titans be this way and at least be competent? And um, I think that that is something that, you know, ultimately may be the case in this team just this year, just ain't it for them. And there's a lot of reasons why that may end up being the case. But but my case for the Titans, um, maybe not for sure to be competitive, but for fans to be patient, as hard as it may be, is that this team is going, all, I, I would argue, always needed time. And certainly now, you can argue even more strongly. They need time to figure this out um, as to how much they can do to fix their shortcomings. That's what we're going to dive into a little bit later. But Stoney, what do you make of that argument? Do you think there's any validity to that? Or is that a little bit of wish casting on my part? No, I, I think it's a valid, a valid sentiment. I mean, I've always been optimistic about this team from back in the summertime. You know, everything that I've done has been centered around uh, the argument that if things go right for this team, I think they could be pretty good. And I think that's still on the table. One thing that Titans fans should find solace in is the fact that this the first six games on this schedule were always going to be tough. Yes. We, we, we entered this season thinking that if the Titans could get to the bye at two and four, that would be a success. Mm -hmm. And then you have an opportunity to stockpile wins against the AFC South, which you know, maybe CJ Stroud and the Texans have, you know, some signs of life going. Maybe Anthony Richardson and the Colts have some signs of life going. But I don't think through three weeks so far, anybody in this division has really stood out as a good football team. Yeah. So there's an opportunity there for this team to still stockpile some of those wins on the back half of the schedule. The thing that makes me concerned is you called this game a complete systemic failure. And I couldn't have agreed more. The term I used was gridlock. Mm -hmm. And 
hats off to Kevin Stefanski, who I think is an underrated coach in the NFL. Hats off to Jim Schwartz. They had the perfect game plan. They knew exactly where this Titans defense, this Titans offense was the weakest, and they attacked both. They um, got matchups on the field that exacerbated those weaknesses. They knew exactly how to attack this team. The thing that concerns me is that they did it with what I would consider, look, I think the Browns have a good roster. I don't think they're world beaters. I don't think they're stacked with all pro talent from top to bottom. And I think the thing that concerns you there is that maybe there's a blueprint out there for how to gridlock this Titans team Mm. from a schematic standpoint and not necessarily just having the horses out there that completely overwhelm the Titans. And I'm also concerned about the thing that made this team, it gave this team a chance in 2022 and 2021 was their gritty mental toughness that uh, kept them in every game, give them a shot against anybody, the old, any given Sunday cliche. I didn't see that in the second half against the Browns. So when I'm sitting there dealing with this cosmic horror that was this Browns game, having my existential crisis, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, what happens if the Titans lose the one thing that is probably their biggest strength from a, uh, a mental standpoint? Right. You can worry about that, but you can also put it into perspective of a, a pretty good Browns defensive front, a pretty good Saints defensive front. We've seen flashes that this offense can work against the Chargers. There are reasons for optimism still, and to your point, it, it's a completely new offensive system that's just going to take time for everybody to get on the same page. A lot of moving parts in this offense, too. I don't know how much you guys have like dug into the weeds of it yet, but it looks completely different from 2022, and yes. it, it's completely reasonable to expect it's going to take a few games for, for this thing to really sink in. Well, and you, when you say it looks different from, from 2022, obviously it does, but when you you know really dig into the details, which I'm, I'm sure that you have, there are some things where, especially like the, the first thing that comes to mind when you mention that is the run game. Yes. There, there, there are times when, you know, like I believe, and it's been a, a full 24 hours since I've watched this game back, but I believe it was like well into the second half before in the run game they ever ran any traditional outside zone they kind of mm-hmm. refused to run that duo scheme that that they ate on so often in 2020 2021 2022 and it's one of those things that makes you just scratch your head because when they did get around to doing it they found some success running the ball Derrick Henry nine yards Tajay Spears seven yards like it was starting to work and you're wondering what you know based on what we know about this offensive line group they can be a good run blocking unit in my opinion Mm -hmm. but the way that they're utilizing them and the way that they're trying to run the ball it just it doesn't make a ton of sense and it's those kind of i'm sure that there are other examples that i've not you know seen of things they're trying and i'm not exactly sure why they're trying them but they are trying to change them from how they've been in the past and maybe they'll be proven right in doing so and once they figure it out it will work and be a nice zig to the titans typical zag but maybe they'll just come around to the fact that you know what you know we you know we hear all the time in the NFL September and October is for experimenting. You, you need to know who you are by November and December. Once they get to November and December, if they're still alive and they feel they know who they are, maybe you see them get back to their bread and butter a little bit. Like I think that all of those things are still on the table, and it's those kind of little quirks in those differences that you see on tape where I'm I'm left scratching my head. I am not sitting here pretending that I know ball better than these guys that are that are making these decisions 
but they're also not faultless either. And so I, I do, I do wonder what are they up to here? What's the point? What are they trying to get at? And I'm, I'm mostly intrigued to see if they stick with these changes and if so, if they work. Yeah. And, and even as bad as that game was on Sunday, there were still plays that they schemed guys open. Chigakonkwo sure. was open on a couple of plays. Traylon Burks was open on a beautifully designed play that he just inexplicably dropped the ball. Tannehill throws We're going to talk about time, that later. Yep. And it hits the dirt. And you see things like our buddy James Foster pointed out on X this weekend, like they're having success chipping at Miles Garrett with Ty J Spears that drive got him into the red zone and then <laughs> right. they get into the red zone and they stop. So uh, I, yeah. I tweeted it out on Sunday. I'm like, I, I don't even understand what the Titans are trying to do. on right. offense. So presumably you can clean some of those things up, right? Those are decisions that you cannot make next time. And uh, maybe it leads to better results. So in my opinion, yeah, I, I look at as far as from a systematic standpoint, I think the offense still has plenty of room to gel. Uh, the thing that still worries you is the offensive line. I don't I don't know what they do about that. Right. And I, that's what I want to talk about next. But to just turn the page on this topic, you, you said there there are times when you're watching this tape where you just don't know what they're trying to do on offense. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And that that brings me to once again being you know, as Kenneth calls me in the comments the the positive attitude which I am naturally an optimist so giving the optimists perspective here those of us that that fancy ourselves ball knowers were very fond of what Tim Kelly was doing through the first two weeks of the season we, we fancy him a much better offensive mind in general than what the Titans had the past two seasons if we still believe that to be the case through two of his three games having a stinker of a game in Cleveland. I, I do not think he did a very good job in, in that Cleveland game from a coaching standpoint, and the, the players didn't do him any favors by executing either. There's reason for optimism in the sense that he's a smart guy. He's a brilliant offensive mind who's going to figure it out, and and he won't... A lot of what we got frustrated with Todd Downing was was making the same mistake over and over, right? Pounding your head into the wall. We're, we're yet to have enough... Uh, of a sample size to know whether or not Tim Kelly has that proclivity to be stubborn in his play calling in the way that he deployed. I mean, if, if I had to point to one example, how about week one, the Derrick Henry, Tajay Spears split. People are saying, why did you do it that, that way? And he comes out that week and says, you're right. I actually, I do want to get more of, of, of Henry out there than Spears. And then in week two, they, they have that kind of, you know, 60, 40 split Spears and, and Henry, and it feels like a really nice amount. Now in Cleveland, they kind of went back the other way, but I would argue the amount of Derrick Henry on the field was more a result of the game script than anything else. I think that, you know, sure. Tajay Spears is, is doing a very good job so far as a pass blocker. They needed him in there. They needed as many pass blockers as humanly possible to operate at all. And even then it didn't work, but, but yeah, I, I think that those are the kinds of things that we need to look out for. Um, let's move on to the offensive line. And we got a, a, a couple comments here from Jacob asking why we should expect the offense to be any better against Cincinnati, which I, I'm going to kind of assume right in my own uh, opinion to the to that question, Jacob, you know, with the offensive line, why should one expect the offensive line to get any better? against this Cincinnati team. And then Sean saying you invest in barely above practice squad level offensive linemen minus Peter, and you run into these issues on offense. I don't think that's fair to Daniel Brunskill either. It's quietly has been a steady force for this Titans team. I've been, I've been 
perfectly pleased with what Daniel Brunskill has done for this team so far. Even like Chris Hubbard as well, to an extent. I mean, he's, well, a, he's an I, NFL it's veteran. It's based on the expectations, right? He so. has not yes. been great, but he has been less of a disaster than I think a lot of people expected him to be in relief because he was put in a really difficult position. But let's start with the guy that is the number one issue for this Titans front. Andre Dillard, left tackle. I was talking to our buddy James Foster earlier today about him, and James was, as we were talking, said he was just getting into the Titans tape, so I'm going to have a follow-up conversation with him on this. But I was asking him, you know, as I, I I consult him a lot on these things from a tape perspective because I, I feel like I do a decent job interpreting what I'm seeing, but I know he does a good job interpreting what he's seeing. So sometimes when I'm not sure, I, I check my eyes against his, and I was asking him about, when you're comparing the disaster that was Dennis Daly to the disaster that currently is Andre Dillard, what are the similarities and differences? Because from a statistical standpoint, the the narrative of the week, the hot topic of the week is how Andre Dillard currently on pace to be worse than, than Dennis Daly. And certainly the eye test has not looked any better, but what I've seen on tape. And so now this is what I want to ask you, whether or not you have seen something similar with, with Dennis Daly, I was often coming away from the tape with with the opinion that that's a guy out there. I'm, I see an athlete out there on the field that just can't hang. Just athletically, he can't hang with some of these guys. With Dillard, that's not been the case for me. It's been much more of this is a guy that continues to, from a from an approach and technique standpoint, put himself in losing situations, put himself at a disadvantage from the jump, inexplicably making decisions that make his job more difficult. And there's, he certainly is not perfect in his technique. I do think he's a much better athlete, just raw athletic traits, than Dennis Daly was. From a technique standpoint, one of the things that our buddy James Foster pointed out most in our conversation was about how in pass protection, he has no punch. He just tries to absorb the, the pass rusher, and it's like a guaranteed three-step drop into the pocket and is collapsing that pocket at best. He is minimizing the space that Ryan Tannehill has to operate. But for me, it's been much less athletic issues and, and much more approach and technique issues. What have you seen from Dillard as you've evaluated his attempt at playing left tackle there to your point? I think watching Dennis daily, you can watch his tape. And by the way, I got roasted because I went on football and other F words this summer and said, people don't want to hear it, but Dennis daily actually had some good reps for this team. <laughs> You're right. Stoney. The people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They but I, I went back and watched it and was kind of like, you know, I see why he, they're so committed to him as their best option. Uh, with Dillard, I think he he plays in a sort of panicky kind of way, if mm. that makes sense. Like he does this weird like half set thing where he doesn't get very deep on his pass sets. And I think it's um, uh, our buddy Sean Calderon called it a baby step. It's like a, <laughs> yeah. a baby step out of his stance. And it's almost like he's playing as if he's terrified to give up the inside. Yes. And yes. so he ends up with these. He watched all that Dennis Daly tape of him having help on the outside and still getting beat on the inside. Yeah. Like, you know, the yeah. weekly, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm not doing that. No matter what, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. So you see him in these situations where from an alignment standpoint, he's at a disadvantage because these pass rushers are just lining up out wide and he's not getting deep and wide enough 
to really um, sustain the blow uh, of that initial contact. And what ends up happening is these quick guys get around him and then he has to turn his hips. And when he turns his hips and he's facing the pass rusher, it ain't good, boys. It ain't good. You give up any sort of leverage advantage yeah. you have in that situation. And he's, uh, you know, inexplicably just chasing guys. And essentially what ends up happening is he's riding guys to Ryan Tannehill. Yep. And you see it happen over and over. I don't think he's actually that bad of a run blocker. I think he's having no, he's a pretty- not. He's not stony. A hundred percent. I agree. But he's just it, it almost seems like the processing is not happening in his head quick enough communicating to his body. And he just puts himself in positions where the way I would phrase it is that he's hanging himself out to dry on every pass pro rep that I've watched. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, <laughs> where I want to go with this conversation now is. For starters, you know, you you mentioned a moment ago that you you understood last year, unpopular as it may be, why the Titans chose to stick with Dennis Daly as their best option based on what you've seen and based on what we think we know about the other options they have on this team. Do you think it's wise for them to continue to stick with Dillard as their best option or is it time, as the fans certainly feel it is, to to try to do try something, shuffle the deck? If I were to make the switch, I think I would switch to Dylan Radens, give him a shot at left tackle, and then they just activated um, Justin Murray, signed him to the 53-man. I thought he played pretty well in the preseason. Right. I don't know how he's going to stack up at left guard while uh, Big Meat Pete is out, but if you tinker with some things, you know maybe you get him into the starting five <laughs> and you're operating under the premise of, hey, just get your best five out there. Um, that's the only move I would make right now, unless we are talking about a full on throw in the towel, wave the white flag on 2023 in which we're, we're talking about Malik Willis or Will Levis starting then maybe, you know what? I'm open to the idea of kicking Peter Skaronsky out there and at least seeing what you got at left tackle. So that's what I want to talk about here. And I have written down eight different variations on this offensive line that they can try Four of them now, and then four when things get further complicated with M- when F- NPF comes back in week eight, right? So right now you've got left to right, Dillard, Skaronsky, Brewer, Brunskill, Hubbard. That's what they're rocking with when Peter is healthy, which he currently isn't. So, you know, obviously right now it's Raiden's in at left guard. But once Skaronsky is back and you have Skaronsky Skor- and Raiden's and Dillard all available for, for two slots there on the left, they can move. Raiden's outside replacing Dillard, right? And make it Raiden, Skaronsky, Brewer, Brunskill, Hubbard, right? Which is what you were talking about. Yeah. They can also, which you mentioned, and I, I personally feel it would be the better option, but that's because I have dating back to April, this, this deeply rooted opinion that Peter Skaronsky deserves a shot outside in the NFL. They could do Skaronsky on the outside, keep Raiden's in at that left guard position where he's fared fine in relief. Brewer, Brunskill, Hubbard. And then uh, an idea that was floated by our buddy Zach, which I, I don't know if you have any interest in this. I don't know if the team would have any interest in this. I personally don't have any interest in this, but it's out there. You know, you, you do Raidens and Skaronsky on that left side. You have Raidens on a left tackle, Brewer, Brunskill. And then if you're trying to get your money's worth, you put Dillard on the right side and you sit down Chris Hubbard. So uh, that one feels far-fetched to me. I don't know why you would want Dillard on the outside on the other side. I think he would be just as big of, of a problem there. I don't believe he has a lot of experience on that right side, but 
the two most interesting options are involve Dillard being sat down and you have Raiden's outside with Skaronsky on the inside and the left side, or you give Skaronsky a chance at left tackle. And listen, <laughs> Peter Skaronsky, I'm old enough to remember when Peter Skaronsky was the best <laughs> left tackle in the game in college football. I mean, hands down, not close, best guy doing it. And I understand that we've had this conversation a billion times on this show. I understand that I'm probably screaming at a wall because the Titans brass, they seem to have indicated that they have no interest in playing Peter Skronsky outside, which bothers me because I want to see it so bad. And I don't think I ever will get the chance to unless some horrible rash of injuries comes down and you have to have him out there. I just feel like giving him a shot because when I compare his play style to what Dylan Raiden's offers and Dylan Raiden's has a very little bit of proof on tape in the NFL of being capable out, out on the outside at that tackle position. But, but something that Greg Cosell said about Raiden's a couple of weeks ago um, that stuck with me and I, I couldn't agree more his, the, the, the strength with which, with which he plays set his physical limitations aside, his reach limitations aside, the, the things on paper that make you concerned about his ability to play tackle. He's athletic, but he do, does have some reach concerns, and he's not the biggest guy in the world. I just don't think he has the play strength and the anchor to be a successful left tackle in the NFL. And I think Skaronsky might could because he's such a big fella and does such a great job on college tape and in the NFL so far through one game of, of being maybe the strongest guy on the line on every rep. And he's just a monster. And I t talk me out, out of this, convince me why Peter Skaronsky wouldn't be worth giving a shot on the outside. I listen, I'm not going to, Okay. I flat out refuse to talk to you out of that. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I think I wrote a uh, a film study piece on stacking the inbox about Dylan Radens, and I think there's a large enough sample size that, by and large, we kind of know what he is as a left tackle. Hmm. I don't think we know what Peter Skaronsky is at left tackle. And for a team that looks like it needs a left tackle, or at the very least through three games, they've got a left tackle problem. Why would you not want to explore every possibility in-house yes like you don't have to expend any draft capital any money or anything like that you've got a guy there you've got a good sample size that indicates hey dylan radens can hold it down at left guard so maybe we just you know give the guy a shot it, it can't i mean i'm at a point now where i don't care if peter skaronsky has literal t-rex arms it's got to be better than what dillard's doing in pass yes. protection right now yes and so if you are fighting for this season, I, I mean, either way, if you're if you're hanging on to this idea that you can win the AFC South, anybody can get into the playoffs, and then who knows what can happen. If you're holding on to that idea, you want to try and figure out the left tackle spot. He's a potential solution. If you want to wave the white flag and surrender and punt on 2023, you still want to move. Peter I'll tell you this. If they get tackle. to that point this season and it is a full blown punt, let's see what we've got. And then they don't try him ever outside. I'm going to be fuming. I'm going to be furious. Yeah. I I'm willing to say, uh, maybe I'm not willing to say that out loud just yet. Now, well, now I have to, because I'm you started have to now. Yeah, uh, I was about to bully you into it. After one game against the saints, I was kind of like, yeah, no, he's good at left guard. Like that's we're we're set for the next ten years with this guy, and I think that's the case. Yes, but I think he can be more. <laughs> yeah, don't clip the bird's wings. Let him soar. Let him fly. 
I was not in on the Skaronsky at left tackle idea to begin with, but I, I don't know how anybody can watch Andre Dillard keep doing the same things over and over and not want to try Skaronsky out there. It's it's funny that, that we've got a situation where it's it's the guy who refuses to punch in the run pass or the the, the pass block game versus the guy that the team won't let try the left tackle position because they think he physically can't punch. Yeah. Um, it's the can't versus the won't. And, and a, a vining asks, will somebody just ask Vrabel? We, we have, we've had this conversation with him. Um, there, it's a, you know, it's a, a moot point. He, he doesn't want to go into any further detail. Um, a vining also asks what is better for the Titans Peter as an all pro elite left guard or a serviceable to okay. Left tackle. It depends on, I think it depends on your, you know, the, the state of your franchise, the state of the team building cycle that you're in. If you are a competitive team this year, you think that you still are. And he's the only person on the entire team that is going to be a serviceable tackle for you. Then it is as a serviceable tackle because you've got guys such as Dylan Radens who are serviceable guards. And so if you've got serviceable tackle and serviceable guard play, then you can have serviceable Ryan Tannehill making serviceable throws to players downfield and not getting killed every play. If, if you're trying to build long term, then I would say, you know, you you pretty sure are you pretty sure you are pretty sure that you know what you've got in this guy as your future 10, 15 year left guard. Go find a, a guy that you think can be a great tackle prospect down the road. Do try him. Try him out. You give it a shot. But like, you know, that's that's how I feel about it, Stoney. Do you feel like that's the way that it should be? Yeah, I mean, I think you can boil it down as simply as you don't have a serviceable left tackle right now and look at the results you're getting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Kenneth says, let it go, Easton. I don't know what even you're referring to, but I will not let it go. This is I my show. I'll, I'll, to, I'll to do what I want on my show, Kenneth. That continuing to uh, <laughs> to talk and talk and talk about Peter Skronsky at left tackle. I will shaking not. Up this, this offensive not. line. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I should. You're right. I should. Because like, like I said at the top of this entire discussion, I think it's a moot point because I don't think that they will try. Um, okay, let's talk about some skill position players on this team. And um, this is a real mixed bag, in my opinion. So let's start with the guys that I think have looked impressive. And I, I want your opinion on um, whether or not you've seen the same thing with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he's maybe been the only guy that is consistently a bright spot on the Titans offense week in and week out. He appears to me to be that guy that we thought he was going to be a wily veteran, the surest hands on the team jump, you know, 50-50 ball for him is an 80-20 ball favoring DeAndre Hopkins. He, he's always open. I, I have no notes. I have no concerns with what he is. And I, I think that he is, as long as he can stay healthy, going to be the best player on this offense, barring some breakout. Yeah, I um, I think all the people that made their Randy Moss and Julio Jones jokes in the offseason um, – are already eating a little bit of crow because he's already he yep. could he could never play another game for this team and be the best out of any of those guys 100%. and maybe yes. maybe that's an indictment on how truly bad those two projects were but I think DeAndre Hopkins has been one of the few bright spots on offense I think he's been pretty dependable I think he's been pretty good a lot of the underneath stuff I don't think he offers you much like way down the field I think that was the role that Traylon Burks was supposed to kind of comfortably slide into, which is, you know, probably a guy we'll talk about here in a minute. But I, I'm with you, man. I, I think the DeAndre Hopkins experiment has gone uh, surprisingly well so far. 
you're just waiting for the the shoe to drop. It's like something has yeah. to go wrong here. Like this, the Titans went and got an old free agent wide receiver, and things have been going well for almost a month. <laughs> There's no way we Crazy. thought that things fell apart after week one. He, he goes down with the ankle injury, questionable all week. Oh God, here we go. He's never going to play again. Another snap, and he's been fine. He's he's been out there. Yeah. Um, the other guy that I've been maybe even based on the difference between what we've seen and our expectations coming in, I may be even more happy with this guy. Chris Moore. I'm with you. How about him? I think yeah. proven everybody wrong out there. I mean, he, at one point he was averaging like 41 yards per reception for this team. And that number has since come down, but he still is the the downfield jump ball guy for this team by example. So funny, like he's done it twice now. And it's been impressive that that catch in Cleveland was one that I thought had no shot of being a completion. And he reels it in. What have you seen from Chris Moore so far? I like him. I think it's clear that he's the key to unlocking this Titans offense, make him the MVP of this team so far. <laughs> uh, Puga Nakua, 15 targets a game, <laughs> force feed Chris Moore. Yeah. Um, the over the top catch was just in, incredible, but that's kind of Chris Moore, like hmm. point of the catch guy. He's a really versatile guy that the way I phrase it, a, another dude that I, I wrote about, I watched some film for over on stacking the inbox. The way I phrased it was that he's a guy you can really move around the formation. You can ask him to do a lot of things and he's sneaky enough that the defenses can lose track of him. And if they lose track of him, he'll make you pay. And it's kind of like, that situation we saw um, on Sunday with the big catch, it's like, dang, you get him one-on-one -on -one down the field, and and now he's mossing people, adding mm -hmm. that element to his game. Right. Sky's the limit for Chris Moore right now, boys. <laughs> I have no, I'm with you. I've got no notes for Chris Moore. I think they should continue to target him downfield. Um, he, he's done a great job. I, I'm contractually obligated to mention NWI. NWI is NWI as far as I'm concerned so far. Yeah. He he is what he is. He's been perfectly serviceable. I, I know a lot of fans get up in arms about why is NWI out snapping all the other receivers? Because he's the best blocking receiver on the team. He's the most trusted blocking receiver on the team. He's going to be out there to block a lot. That's just how that goes. Um, now let's get to the two guys that are concerning to me so far. The two guys that we were expecting a sophomore breakout from, and it, the, the season is still very young. It is still the month of September. However, Chigakonkwo and Traylon Burks have been less than what we thought they would be. The guy that I'm probably more concerned about is Traylon Burks, simply because I had I I, I personally expect more from him than I do from Chig. Um, I feel like this team needs more from him than they need from Chig. And that Cleveland game in particular, he has the big 70 yard, you know, offense saving seemingly catch in the Chargers game. But outside of that, he's he's really left a lot to be desired out there in this Cleveland game. Two dots from Ryan Tannehill, really fantastic pro level passes that are right in his hands and he can't bring them in one downfield on that right hand side streaking down. The sideline was going to be the, the second of the Titans explosive plays on the day. And then that one where Tannehill throws it through four guys in traffic, the in breaking route that certainly on tape looked like seven points. If, if uh, Traylon Brooks reels it in, like that was a classic AJ Brown in breaking route. That's going to the house. We've got the safety beat. We drew him over to that right side and Traylon had the entire left side of the field to work. He just, it bounces off his hands. Like what, 
what have you seen from Traylon and at what on the scale of one to 10, how concerned are we right now? I I'm pretty concerned about Burks because like I said, I expected him to fill a very specific role in this offense as it's deep threat. And right now what we're seeing is the concentration drops and kind of, I don't know, clunky moments from him where mm. it's, it, there's something about his game. That's just not quite looking smooth and they're doing well to isolate him in one-on-one -on -one matchups. And he's just not really separating down the field, you know, like things you got to do if you're going to be the deep threat for an offense. Yeah. That's what's concerning for me. Um, and something that I've seen several times watching the season so far, uh, with Chig, I kind of feel like we don't really know right now because they desperately need blocking help so bad that I don't really notice him out in space all that often to begin with. Right. Yeah, no, it, it, but he's had a number, not a number, at least two that I can think of off the top of my head. And then in the preseason, that, that Vikings game, he's been a little drop happy as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that one, I mean, probably the worst drop just based on circumstances in that Cleveland game. Nobody near him. Not exactly a fastball. Very routine pitch and catch. And it, I don't know if he's turning his head before he reels the ball in. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not to the point. I mean, I pretty boy Lipschitz in the comments. You, I'm telling you, like, pretty boy, love you. Appreciate your contribution to our show. You are the most reactionary guy I know. You've got to chill out about these things. <laughs> I mean, on Twitter, in the comments, you jump to conclusions like it's your full-time job. Burks is a one-trick pony, can only play outside, no hoop fluidity. But this is a young player in a young career, in a young season, on a on a team that has a lot of – like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not out by any means, but I, it is absolutely fair to say it's concerning at this point. And I'm, I'm sure when we talk to Traylon tomorrow, he's going to tell us that he knows he has to do better. He has to do better. Um, there's no two ways about that. I would agree with that for sure. I think the word that I use with Traylon Burks right now is frustrating because mm. even when he does make the plays, like you like regardless of that big play in the Chargers game, like I'm fully expecting Traylon Burks to still take that to the house. We've yet to see him have right. a big play where he can after he gets the ball, like take it to that second gear and continue. And yeah. it's just like regardless of if, if it is a Tannehill underthrow in, in some time, in mm -hmm. some cases, like it's just so frustrating every single week, week watching him right now. And as I said on Twitter, like or X, like it, he, he has to take that step if he wants to be the wide receiver one. And he continues to just not be able to do that. You think back to that green Bay game, the game right before the Titans entire world fell apart last season, they win on Thursday night football up in Lambeau. That was at the time, what felt like the, the coming out party for Traylon Burks, that felt like the I'm here game. And in that game, you did see those things from him. You saw him separate downfield against Jair Alexander, make contested catches across the middle, get yards after the catch. He was doing everything in that game that you were hoping and praying you'd see from him in the NFL. And since then, you just haven't you haven't seen it. And that that is that is a concerning thing. Um, the other two guys that I want to talk about before we get to the defense here. Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears. We've talked a little bit about their utilization and um, I just, and we've talked about the state of the running game. I, I want to dive a little bit more into it with you, Stoney. I, I am concerned with the state of this running game. I, I am frustrated by the state of this running game because from what I have seen on tape, I see opportunities for them to be better than they are and they, they aren't taking them. And with guys like Henry and Spears, who I've seen some fans kind of, get on to in particular, you know, like Henry really is the one is, you know, people are like, he's just, he's lost it. Look at this guy. Look at the numbers, a lot of box score scouting, all of this. 
when you watch the tape, I, I refuse to evaluate either of these runners based on the opportunities that they've been given so far. Uh, the, the stat, the, I wish I'd pulled this up, but what is the stat that it's like on average? Um, Derrick Henry is being met four yards behind the line of scrimmage or something like that. It was many yards behind the line of yeah. scrimmage uh, per per carry. He's getting one, maybe two steps before meeting resistance. Uh, have we all forgotten how Derrick Henry operates? I mean, the one way to stop Derrick Henry when he was in his prime and now is you cannot let him get three or four steps downhill. If you do, then he's going to wear you down all game long and be effective. But if you don't allow him to get a little bit of a head of steam, and I don't even mean give him five, six steps before he meets resistance. I mean, can we get three? Can, can I see four? We're not seeing that so far. And, and there's so many instances in the run game where this defensive line is letting defenders cleanly through, unblocked, getting behind the line of scrimmage at the point of the handoff. And it's just ruining any opportunity that either of these guys have. Stoney, what have you seen from the run game? What are your frustrations? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I rewatched this game on Sunday night. I might have been a few beers deep, and it was a little trippy. It was like one of those optical illusion posters that you look at, and you know it's not moving, but stuff starts moving around. That's kind of the feeling I got. <laughs> uh -huh. It's like watching the play just from the offensive line, Tannehill, everybody. The ball is snapped, and then just everybody moves back like five yards, and the Browns' mm. defensive front just comes crashing in. And like from the jump, this play is starting like five yards behind the line of scrimmage. There's nowhere for him to go. Yep. There's, there's no, there are no lanes in the middle. He can't get to the outside to bounce stuff because there's constantly somebody in the backfield with him and credit to the Browns. They've got some fast linebackers, Jim Schwartz. They even said it during the, uh, during the broadcast that, you know, he said, we're not trying to fool anybody. And I, I thought there was a really funny example of that where the Titans lined up two tight ends over to help Andre Dillard. And yep. Jim Schwartz just said, okay, here's two more linebackers to go with you. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, you can't expect to run the ball when teams are, are doing that. They just, they know it's not going to be, it's not going to be an issue to send bodies um, past the offensive line. Yeah, it, it is concerning. And um, I, I'm not, I've not lost faith in, Tim Kelly's ability to figure out the running game, but I, I do have a lot of questions as to that, that's certainly something that I'm going to want to ask him about this week when we speak to them, you know, just now, what, what, what is the plan here? I, and I've thought they've, they've had some success on these little screen passes and check downs out in space where they, they have, they flank one of these guys out left or right and just pass the ball to them. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, if that's working, why aren't we seeing more of that? Well, that's one of those things you see from other teams in the league when you watch, you know, the, the Chargers and the Bengals in particular come to mind for me mm -hmm. where their short passing game, they utilize it in a way that it's really an extension of their run game, right? It's it's really just a different way to get the ball to a player in space and let the athlete go to work. You're not actually slicing and dicing a team through the air downfield. You're just getting an athlete in space. That's something yeah. that the Titans don't do a very good job of. I know Ryan Tannehill has the, I believe it's the third highest depth of target on pass attempts when he's operating from a clean pocket. The, the, the Titans offense right now is futile running up the middle. Screen passes that are kind of hit or miss when they hit, they're very good when they miss. It's a, it's a execution error. And Ryan Tannehill trying to take deep shots down the field like that. 
you you've cut out the middle class is dead in America and the middle class is dead in this Tennessee <laughs> Titans passing offense. You you can't not have that element of your passing game. Yeah, I, I really like the way Kevin Stefanski has designed the Cleveland running game as well. Like the way he sends receivers down the field, especially in this Titans game, like they knew they would just send like five guys down the field and know like the Titans can't afford to give anybody up in coverage because they're terrible in the secondary right now. <laughs> so it would draw all the defenders back with the receivers and they would be, you know, 15 yards down the field. And then they would let the pass rush come at Deshaun Watson get these offensive linemen to the second level with Kareem Hunt in front of them and just dump it over over the pass rush's head to the running back with all of the Titans defenders drawn down the field, nothing but 10 to 15 yards of green grass in front of Kareem Hunt. And I'm like, you know, technically that's a pass, but I think that's how Kevin Stefanski has designed that offense to run the ball so effectively. Yeah, we don't I, see a lot of that with the Titans. I, I, that's what I was going to say. You, you just you don't see it with the Titans, and that is an area of concern. Let's move to the defensive side real quick before we get to the Titans news with producer JT, and then we get on out of here. I got to talk about the secondary concerns, and this is something that I, I'm going to lean a little bit on what you've seen on tape because we can go player by player. You know, I, I want to talk about this group as as a whole, but also individually. Maybe we start with the individuals. Sean Murphy Bunting. I've been impressed and happy with a lot of what he's done this year. I wasn't huge on him as a, as an outside cornerback that they were going to bring in and was really going to have a, a massive impact for this team. Um, but he had some reps, especially in that LA game, uh, some press man reps that I was really impressed by. He's made some plays and Cleveland made really one of the only impact plays the Titans had all day long, forcing that fumble and recovering it, giving the Titans a chance at their only points on the day. What have you seen from Sean Murphy bunting as an outside cornerback? And it's been a little bit up and down, but I feel like it's been a net positive. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I don't think he's been a liability uh, the way Christian Fulton was on Sunday, Yeah, but I, I was kind of lukewarm on the signing to begin with watching his tape with the Buccaneers. It's, it's easy to see. He likes to keep things in front of him and it makes him kind of susceptible to those in-breaking, out-breaking routes underneath. He gives up a lot of catches. But, you know, the big thing is I, I think a lot of cornerbacks would tell you, hey, I'll take a five-yard reception over a 40-yard touchdown over my head any day of the week. So sure. I think you see that a lot to his game. Also kind of have to throw out the Tampa Bay tape because they are two different defenses. Right. And I think in this in this system – I think he can succeed. Like, I think this, this defense is predicated on, you know, keeping things in front of you and just kind of holding your water until the pass rush can get home. When the pass rush can't get home, um, you know, things tend to break down. And I think when that happens, Sean Murphy bunting gets a little grabby, gets a little handsy. He had a penalty against the Browns, but I think by and large, he's been about what I thought he would be. There would be some ups and there would be some downs. I think that's a great way of putting it. Easton. Um, the next guy that I've really, maybe the only other guy in this cornerback group that I've been happy with, I feel like Roger McCreary's play has gone under the, under the radar as a result of this group as a whole being really underwhelming, but he was a player that I, again, I came into this year, uh, his, his fresh freshman, his, uh, his rookie year was fine. There were some moments where you saw some real, just physical limitations from him that were upsetting, but understandable. And you felt like you had, a, at the very least, a starting caliber cornerback. But, you know, he may not really offer a ton as a plus player. 
he's been a plus player so far this year to me. He's he's been the best cornerback on this team so far this year to me. What have you seen from McCreary? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the move inside uh, enables Shane Bowen to use him as a chess piece. I think he's somebody that you can trust against slot receivers that are typically a little smaller in stature where maybe his length might not be the issue that it was when he was tasked with being a, a pure boundary cornerback in one-on-one -on -one situations in 2022. I think he's excelling in that role. I think he's a great tackler. And it's, you know, I know it's kind of a, it's not an exciting aspect of defensive football to talk about, but like, he's just a really sound tackler. They yes. can trust him in the open field and one-on-one -on -one situations to bring the guy down. I've also seen him use a, a couple of, or use him on blitzes a couple of times. Well, not blitzes, because I don't think the Titans defense blitz, you know, they'll, they, they, it's allergic to blitzing, right? They'll send McCreary send and then drop, drop Danico Autry into, into coverage. Right. So, um, but using him from that slot, I think he's become a really interesting chess piece for this defense. And honestly, man, I know like Jeffrey Simmons and the pass rush is going to get a lot of um, attention, but I, I kind of think McCreary has quietly been the second best player on this defense so far this season. Mm. Second Behind to who? Simmons. Behind Simmons? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, like, I like that take. I think that you can back up that take from what we've seen so far. How about a take on Christian Fulton, who, brother, it it Struggling. has it has. And I tweeted this out. I think I saw you saw this tweet, but I, I have struggled with squaring what I saw for five weeks from him in training camp, changing Titans fans' hearts and minds, changing the hearts and minds of those of us in the media trying to analyze this roster who had very low expectations for him coming into this year, contract year. Felt like a guy that was, frankly, not safe all offseason. Lumped into that nine to five guy category, soft mm -hmm. tissue injury category with the David Long Juniors of the world. He sticks around, takes an unorthodox approach to starting this year off uh, from a tr training perspective, and then he was really impressive against. And and a lot of people respond to this tweet being like, well, because he was going up against the Titans receivers. No wonder he looked good. Well, DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks are still on this team. Like he was, it wasn't that he was dominating Reggie, Reggie Roberson and Mason Kinsey out there. All right. Like this guy was, was battling with DeAndre Hopkins. Do you think that DeAndre Hopkins has been bad this year? Absolutely not. So of course that's hard for me to square when he's out there hanging with the best, of the best in DeAndre Hopkins. And then, He's losing on a regular basis to guys that really aren't near DeAndre Hopkins level, even at this age. Like, what is going on with Christian Fulton? Is it is it just the easiest decision the Titans have ever had in not re-signing a guy after this year? Man, I I mean, if his body of work continues to shape up the way it has so far, yeah, I mean, there's no way you can bring him back, much less pay him a max contract to make him a, a highly paid cornerback in the league. I... I can't help but wonder, man, you just you hear about these communication issues on defense. Mm. And Mike Vrabel like flat out said in the presser yesterday that Christian was supposed to cover the guy on that touchdown run. I there's a part of me that sees a really good athlete that just for whatever reason, I don't know if he's in his own head, but he doesn't seem to be very comfortable in the defense. There's a, mm. a panicky aspect to his game too when he gets the pass interference call on second and 26, 
when if you watch the play and i don't know if you've watched it over and over i tried like freezing it screenshotting it breaking it down from every possible angle every still image i could get out of that that film strip and i think i don't i don't think the the ball would have even been caught if he didn't interfere with the guy so to me it, it was on a trajectory to hit like a yard or two in front of the receiver i agree yeah interference for the love of the game no other reason <laughs> it, it <laughs> no just, other reason yeah it, it just felt to me like a complete panic move yeah which is kind of like a panic move to allow i think that he's been very I mean, he's been very panicky on yeah. film this year it's it's been kind of like a lot of what he's done it, when you watch it on the coaching tape, it looks like a guy that didn't have a plan. Yeah, like a exactly. guy that's that's flying yeah. by the seat of his pants out there, and that's not what you can have in the guy that's supposed to be your cornerback one. No, so I mean, watching his tape, watching him so far, I, I just kind of feel like, oh man, is this guy really comfortable in this defense enough to play fast the way that Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel want guys to play fast? Yeah. Do you I, think there's any chance at all? that we see Fulton this week against like a very, very good Cincinnati wide receiver group of T like, do you think in good conscience looks good? No, no, no. Like see him at all. No, that's what I'm saying. In good conscience. Can the Titans roll him out this week with T Higgins and Jamar chase on the opposite side? They have to, I don't think they have a choice. You don't think there's a, a world where they, where they bench him this week. Anthony Kendall trial by fire. I was about to say, like, is it the Trey Avery show against Jamar Chase? What are like, what are, I mean, I, I, I mean, get, I, I think get what you're saying. And I, I'm sure that they kind of wish they had the luxury of yeah. giving I mean, like, I think that they wouldn't mind giving him the JC Jackson treatment right now. Like, Hey, you're maybe you're a healthy scratch this week. Hey, maybe you're going to be benched a little bit. And like, we need to like put a light a fire under your butt. I just don't know if they have that luxury at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of with you, Easton. Um, but I kind of I don't know, I get JT's point and I I it's one of those moves that I, I don't think I would be surprised to see Mike Vrabel and company make, but maybe just not this week. I'm literally changing my mind as I'm thinking about it because I just the stat about him the, his his uh opponents being perfect against him. Yeah. I mean if it's, if, if it's that's been what bad. if that's what you think he is right now then yeah anybody else i guess is better or at least i mean the same. i mean you go up against so, amari, amari cooper and amari cooper is a good wide receiver sure but now you have two <laughs> like even better wide receivers that i think uh, yeah. for for what it's worth i mean t Bengals higgins has been over here unfortunately uh, he's right but yeah. um <laughs> t higgins has been a disappointment and maybe you know maybe t higgins burns him but since he has a 36 percent catch rate this season like maybe there's that 74 percent of the time where <laughs> a game 20 26 percent Burnt toast yeah. up the sideline. T. Higgins, brick hands, just dropping everything. It's Literally, the most unwatchable like, football um, you've ever seen. Sixty-four percent of the time, the he Titans. just accidentally drops it. You know, like maybe yeah. that happens, but like if if and we'll talk about this on the preview show on Thursday. Like that is the clear. Like even I think over this Bengals front seven versus Andre Dillard, the clear mismatch of the week is Jamar Chase or T. Higgins versus Christian Fulton. Maybe uh, they just I would agree. Maybe they just give him a knife and see if they can get away with it. I mean, listen, Trey, <laughs> give him a, a blunt or a sharp object out there, a prison shiv. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know, JT. I, I get where you're coming from with that mismatch. But I, I mean, I will raise you a Hendrickson versus Andre Dillard. I mean, I think mm, that's close. I think the close, ugly battle for the Tennessee Titans. 
All right, we are we are up against it with time now. So let's get to some news with producer JT and then we'll get out of here. JT, what do we got? Yeah, not to beat the dead horse of Andre Dillard, but just like the stat of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, most sacks allowed in the NFL. Number one, Andre Dillard with six through not great. three weeks. Not a great pace right there. Not great. Not but great. That's twice as many as any other uh offensive ta- or offensive lineman. This oh, that's season. really not great. Um, with a lot of guys tied for three total. And on that list is a lot of young guys compared to Andre Dillard, like Anton Harrison, a rookie, Rookie. Chandler Zavala, rookie, Rookie. Trevor Penning, kind of rookie, like missed a lot of time last season. So like still early. So like very, very not good, but just something worth pointing out going forward. Um, It's tough out there for Andre Dillard. (laughs) Scary hours for Andre Dillard. Indeed. He's on pace for what, like 34 sacks on the season or something. And I would imagine that's not the case because if it gets close to that, he will be yanked. Um, and uh, I mean, he'll regress. But to what point? I do not know. I, if I can work in here real quick. While yeah, let's hear about it. Andre Dillard to Zach's point earlier. I don't know if he's watching or not, but anybody that is thinking about Andre Dillard to the right side of the line, go watch the game that the Eagles tried him out at right guard and then uh, come back and and. Oh no! Was that last year? Do you know when that was? I I honestly I he's played like four games in the entire okay. time, so it won't be hard to find. <laughs> Just okay, I got you. I I want to say it might have been twenty twenty, okay, twenty twenty one, maybe. Okay. It was, it was I'm guessing good. it was an abject disaster. It was not good. No. Okay. Good. We can talk yeah. about some maybe like outside the box, which I know the Titans are not privy to do such things, but I don't know. Maybe it's just as crazy as thinking about moving Andre Dillard to right tackle. Let's talk about some possible replacements for him. And this is more just like news of, of NFL, but on also, the open market, you mean? Yes. Oh, on the God. open market. Uh, okay. just maybe just the fun thought experiment, but uh, former Bengals offensive tackle, Lyle Collins, who missed training camp on the pup list while rehabbing from a torn anterior cruciate ligament and medial collateral ligament some fun ligaments there that'd be um, an acl and mcl for those yes at home. uh passed his physical today so he is expected to soon find work last season he played 951 offensive snaps allowing eight uh giving up eight penalties and allowing five sacks course he's going to be probably a pretty penny on the market but i i feel like you would at least do your due diligence no he is old he is coming <laughs> off of a multi-ligament tear and True. yet you just i cannot find a way for me to expect him to be any worse than what andre dillard is um do exactly. i expect him to go after him no but would it be a bad idea at this point if you still think you can compete and i think that this front office and coaching staff is hard-headed enough to believe that. I'm not saying that they're wrong or right, but I I don't think that they spent the last nine months of their lives preparing to compete this season to throw in the towel after three weeks. I refuse to believe that about Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon. Maybe it's something they consider. And then this one, this is not to be considered, but I saw like four people in the chat like comment on it, so might oh. as well just touch on this. Okay. Um, it, this this came down during our. Is this Isaiah um, Wilson? Are you about to ask about was Isaiah Wilson? I'm going to kill you. You're maybe. About to bring up, okay. uh, the NFL lifted the suspension of former Titans first round pick, offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson. He was suspended three games to start the 2023 season. Uh, he's played a single career game in 2020, and he was traded to the Dolphins in 2021. Um, but was waived three days later for showing up late for his team physical and missing two workouts. Easton, are you going to give him a second chance? What else we got in the news today? <laughs> Moving on. What, what else we, got uh, we have some Titans transactions here um, in which the Titans signed uh, tackle Justin Murray to the active roster. 
signing uh, Otis Reese and wide receiver Shai Smith to the practice squad and then placing safety Mike Brown and running back Julius Chestnut on injured reserve. Tough look for the nasty nut. Unfortunately, his season uh, looks to be in jeopardy or if not already over. Um, So tough there. So any thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I mean, we had we had uh, safety Mike Brown, who was playing good ball, by the way. That's that's I mean, it makes the addition of Dane Crookshank back to the team this week make some sense there. He's going to be added back into the fold. And Dane Crookshank, another guy that has played some good ball for the Titans in the past. Um, he left the game on Sunday in a boot. And then Julius Chestnut was ruled out in that game with a hamstring. Don't know the extent of that hamstring injury, but obviously if there's a tear in there, then you'd imagine that's the end of his season. Not sure if that's the case or not. Um, Shai Smith is the newcomer here. The, the name that people aren't going to recognize. Most recently, I believe with the Panthers, if I'm not Correct. mistaken. Yes. Um, and uh, we don't, don't expect him to be an impact player for this team anytime soon, but a frisky addition, I think a, a, a nice addition of a guy that has had some NFL experience and has made some nice catches in the past. So we'll keep an eye on him. Yeah. And then finally, just some NFL news. Uh, the Jets are not trading for Ryan Tannehill, nor are they trading for Kirk Cousins. Mm. However, they are planning to add to their quarterback room in they get? veteran tr- uh, Trevor Simeon, who is signing oh, with the Jets baby. pending How about physical. Um, yes. Yeah, so they, they don't get Carson Wentz. They don't find any of these older veterans, but they sign the quarterback that lost out to Jake Browning in that backup <laughs> Bengals uh, competition. So I'm not mistaken. I, uh, Saints version of Trevor Simeon gave the Titans a real battle in Nissan stadium a couple years ago, a Derrick Henry less game where they really went to war. So listen, um, can't be worse than Zach Wilson, right? Can't be worse. So we'll, let's see what happens. I'm sure Garrett Wilson stock is through the roof now. And that's going to do our uh, Titans news for today. All right. That is JT with the news. And that is our show. Stoney, thank you so much for coming on and spending the day with us. It was a blast. We'll have to have you back on later in the season. If you would grace us with your time once again, but what, what should the people be checking out? Plug all your stuff for me real quick. Yeah, so I do a Titans podcast. I do a game reaction pod every week. I do a preview episode every week, or I try to anyway. Life gets busy sometimes. That's the unofficial Titans podcast. I'm doing film studies, draft coverage over at Stacking the Inbox. Great uh, stuff, by the way. Become a VIP subscriber there. Get access to all my stuff. And then SobrosNetwork.com. You got a, a little bit of everything else. I just wrote a travel guide to a weekend trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. That's up there. I'm currently working on a piece where I'm recasting 1990s Dick Tracy with actors from 2023. So, you know, a little bit of everything, a little bit of slice of life there at Sobros Network. Whenever I have to explain the Sobros Network to people, I, I, I've settled on it's it's all it's consistently the content you didn't know you needed. Hey, there um, we go. I need to use that because I have trouble explaining what Sobros Network is. I to feel like that's a pretty apt description. I know JT and I were big fans of the Consumer Report that came out earlier this Thank week you. on Emergency. Um, keep up the good work. I, I, I just I'm I'm on my seat ready for the next uh, Yankee Candle review. That the the Apple <laughs> it's, it's it, about was, to be it that pumpkin, season. Pumpkin apple parfait yeah. or something. I saw yeah, yeah, yeah. this this week. I, I was I was in my store today at my local Kroger looking at candles. I was like, no apple pumpkin parfait, but I got to be on the lookout today. So you <laughs> got you me go. thinking about fall candles. So I'm excited for the next one. Uh, it's fantastic. There you go. Happy All to right. hear it. Thank you, Stoney. Thank you, JT. Hey, come hang out with us on Thursday nights at Boomba's Pizza in Spring Hill. 
We're doing the show live there and then watching Thursday Night Football afterwards, grabbing a great bite and drink. Come hang out with us. We're going to do another gift card giveaway. So be the first person in to come say, hey, and get some free food on us. What I mean, I, that should sell itself. I don't know how much I have to really pander to the audience. Just come get free food. If you don't want to do that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, make sure you're following us on social media at Hot Read Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok following all of our personal accounts on Twitter as well for some of the best Titans coverage around until Thursday live from Boomba's for producer JT and our guest Tony Keeley. I'm your host Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you Thursday.